Hi and good morning, at least to those of you who are watching this live. I know that quite a lot of people have been praying for Lynn and I over these past few months as Lynn has faced some health issues. We just want to say how much we deeply appreciate your prayerful support. And through what has been a very, very hard time for us, we nevertheless have continued to know God's goodness. So thank you. And we've been looking uh, in our teaching over these recent weeks at the whole theme of unity and community. And I want to talk this morning about reconfiguring discipleship. You see, we've been exploring the theme of unity and community, how we can grow and mature as church, as God's new community. And last week's interview with Sim Dendi raised, and not for the first time, all the sort of emerging questions that we hear these days around the future shape of church. Not so much how can we get back to our familiar normal way of operating, but rather whether this is in fact a moment to pause and allow God to deeply reconfigure us. An opportunity for the Spirit of God to press reset on how we operate as a community of disciples. Faced with the current situation, I do wonder if we need to actively seize this chance to review our discipleship, both at a personal and a corporate level, how we can grow in maturity as Jesus followers through this difficult time. Because this could be a unique and pivotal moment for God's people. And as I've been reflecting on the need to grasp this moment, how to respond to what the Holy Spirit is calling us into, there's a phrase that's been circling in my mind for some weeks. It's just this. If not now, then when? If not now, when? So the conversation last week that we recorded with Sim Dendi has resonated with my own thoughts. And I want to explore what it could mean to reimagine and to reconfigure how we grow as disciples. You see, fairly obviously, there are three settings within which we need to grow as followers of Jesus. That is firstly, doing discipleship with the many, and then doing discipleship with the few, and then doing discipleship alone. And based to a large degree on our individual personalities, most of us tend to prefer and gravitate most naturally to just one of those. But each element is important in our discipleship and we need to grow in each of them. And perhaps now is a time when we most especially need to grow in those settings, in those contexts that seem perhaps less natural and less easy for us. Now we see each of those settings in the ministry of Jesus. First, there were the many. And I'm not here referring just to the crowds that often followed Jesus around, who turned up to hear him teach or to feed them or to heal them. On occasions, there were thousands in the crowd, but clearly many of these were just curious observers. And of course, we want to welcome those who are curious, people on the fringe who are just looking, whether having stumbled across YCC online or perhaps visited the gateway for some reason. But when I talk about the many, I'm actually thinking of the quite significant number of disciples who were committed followers of Jesus. In Luke's Gospel, we find that uh, Jesus sends out 70 
appointing them to go out uh, ahead of him. After the ascension, there were some 120 followers of Jesus gathered together and wondering what on earth to do. After his resurrection, we hear that Jesus appeared to some 500 at one time. So the number of these core disciples probably numbered several hundred. These were genuine and committed followers of Jesus. They'd seen Jesus at work, they had consistently absorbed his teaching, and they'd seen many of his miracles. These few hundred disciples are in fact a similar number as would typically attend our regular church gatherings as YCC prior to COVID. When we meet corporately, we are in a sense, the many. And then there were the few. This was the much smaller group of disciples who were close to Jesus and close with each other. Those that we often think of as the 12 or the apostles, although we should also include in the group those that crowd of deeply committed women who provided resources for Jesus, and who stayed close at the crucifixion. This group would have not merely heard Jesus' public teaching, but would often have been present for his more private conversations and interactions, where he shared much more deeply and answered questions and explained what he meant, and to whom he progressively revealed who he really was and what he was really about. These were the ones that Jesus asked what, for many of us, would be a deeply vulnerable question. Who do people say that I am? And in our context, then, the few equates to the sort of network of friends that many of us have, perhaps prayer partners or perhaps those we serve alongside or, or our small group. And then there is the individual setting for discipleship. And we see this modelled in those disciples who were closest to Jesus and with whom he engaged one-on-one -on -one in deeply personal and very private conversations, like Peter on the beach having that challenging personal exchange, Simon, do you love me? Or John, the disciple who was known as the one Jesus especially loved, leaning close to Jesus at the last meal to ask, who is it who's going to betray you? Or like honest Thomas, who uttered that, heartfelt and intensely personal response of worship to the risen Jesus, my Lord and my God. This is the individual relationship with Jesus that these first disciples enjoyed, the intensely private and life-transforming bond that they each had with Jesus. And it's this deeply personal relationship into which we are also invited, because the resurrected Jesus assures his followers that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. The many, the few, or myself alone, each of these is a setting within which I need to grow as a disciple. But each requires my conscious engagement, my intentional and sustained effort, my wholehearted commitment. I think I said recently uh, that we don't grow as Christians by osmosis, by just kind of absorbing spiritual maturity, by hanging around the church. And in the current situation, I suggest we perhaps need to reimagine and reconfigure 
how we think about our own discipleship in each of these three contexts. See, I suspect the Holy Spirit is eager to use this moment, intensely difficult and deeply uncomfortable as it is, in order to help us do something of a reset, as we heard last week. And as we reflect on where we stand and the changes that the Holy Spirit may be calling us to make, keep in mind the question I raised at the start. If not now, then when? You may recall the conversation that Adam and I had a couple of months back as part of our series on spiritual disciplines. Those habits of the heart and intentional practices that we pursue to help us to grow as disciples. And we commented then that we are precisely as spiritual as we truly want to be. And this is exposed by our active and deliberate obedience. You see, we are not as spiritual as we vaguely wish that we could be, nor as spiritual as we might sometimes imply to others that we are. And we're not as spiritual as we keep promising ourselves that one day we will become. It's our actions, our actions today, that prove or disprove our claims. As Jesus himself taught us, merely hearing his words does not provide us with a firm foundation. As he said, everyone who hears my, these words of mine and does them is like a wise person who built his house on rock. So as we think about discipleship in these three contexts, with the many, the few and alone, I want to highlight the strengths and the potential weaknesses that can often be present in each of these settings and how we may need to allow the Holy Spirit to do something of a reset for us. And I want to do this by suggesting three kind of caricatures that may correspond to some degree to different ones of us. Now, in the context of the many, the mental picture I have is the scooter rider. Apparently, um, scooters are coming to Yeovil, so I read, but I'm not thinking of the electric ones. I'm thinking of those regular child scooters that you see your children or grandchildren riding on. You know the sort. I try and get a really big push to get me going, and then I wait to see how far the momentum will carry me before I slow down and then need to have a second boost. And if I'm facing downhill, this works especially well, but not so much if I'm facing an uphill stretch. And to be fair, many of us may feel we are currently facing an uphill stretch. This speaks to me of the extent to which I perhaps depend on a regular spiritual boost to keep me following Jesus. And for many of us, this may well have been the weekly corporate gathering down at the gateway with an infusion of worship to get me going, with lots of friends generating or regenerating my enthusiasm, and some more or less inspiring teaching to help sustain momentum. Is this wrong? No. There's an important place for learning and celebrating together as a whole community. And COVID has not made this setting unnecessary or redundant, though it has inevitably changed how we are able to relate, and we may need to adjust how we approach this. However, if this has been the main or perhaps only element that sustains my discipleship, 
then I'm going to be struggling during a period like now when many of us cannot meet together in the normal way. And I would dare to suggest that perhaps the Holy Spirit wants to make use of this opportunity to reconfigure how I develop my discipleship and how I approach these corporate occasions. So if I'm a scooter rider, how might the Spirit be calling me to change? Let me suggest two things. Firstly, I need to focus much, much more seriously on doing discipleship with the few. Now, we often claim that belonging is in the small, but is that actually a reality for me? Do I even have a group of others alongside whom I am deliberately seeking to follow Jesus, to grow in my discipleship? So I need to focus more on the small, the few. And secondly, I need to look to those larger corporate settings online for most of us at the moment as a resource, a vital, a crucial resource to help me grow in my understanding, to stimulate me to worship and to gain a, a sense of God's bigger picture for us as community, but not as the thing that essentially defines my daily relationship with Jesus. Now, you may feel that we just keep going on about things like this, about our personal relationship with Jesus and the centrality of doing discipleship among the few small groups and all that. You may think, well, we've heard all this before. But though we may have heard it, perhaps we've not yet actually embraced the change to which the Spirit is inviting us. So in the light of the current circumstances, I would simply say again, if not now, then when? And then in the context of the few, I have this mental image of the sparkler, very topical at this time of year. The thing with sparklers is that you usually need one that's already a light in order to get the, another one going. And the best results are when you put several together and let them ignite each other, then things can get really exciting. And even that old dud one that wouldn't seem to ignite suddenly bursts into life and placed alongside these other ones. This speaks to me of the extent to which I perhaps rely on others to help me to stay spiritually awake. I get energized and encouraged by being alongside others who are fervent followers of Jesus. They act like catalysts for me. They help ignite my passion for Jesus. And as I talk and interact with them, they draw out from me insights and gifts that I may not have ever realized I had. Is it wrong to be a sparkler? Certainly not. Iron sharpens iron, so a person sharpens his friend, so says Proverbs 27. We were made to relate. We were made to inspire and to complement each other. That's the whole idea behind being the body of Christ. But there can be a danger of being too reliant on others to sustain my own spiritual passion. Do I reveal a greater devotion for Jesus when I am around these friends than is the reality when I'm on my own. Let me ask that again. Do I reveal a greater devotion to Jesus when I am around my friends than is the truth when I'm on my own? Why would that be? And if at times, like now, I might be isolated from those who act as like fire starters for me, how will I sustain my discipleship? 
So if I am by nature a bit of a sparkler type person, how might the Holy Spirit be calling me to reconfigure my discipleship amongst the few? Two suggestions here. Firstly, among this group, I need to determine to be absolutely insistent to include Jesus at the centre of these relationships. It won't necessarily happen unless I make a deliberate choice, a choice to be open and honest in my conversations about my personal walk with Jesus. Rather than just keeping things at the level of ideas and opinions and abstract concepts, or even just at the level of social interaction, and that's really good and really important, but we need to put Jesus at the centre of our relationships amongst the few. One of the best ways to ensure that Jesus remains at the centre is to actively grasp every opportunity to pray with these friends. It's very easy to keep friendships merely at a social level. I have to say, we have really valued, Lynn and I, friends over the past few months who have not only asked, how are you doing, or done practical stuff for us, but who have insisted on pausing to actually pray with us, even if they're not necessarily always uh, the first people to typically do that, but they've insisted on praying with us. We've really valued that. So firstly, keeping Jesus at the center and particularly praying with each other. Secondly, of course, I need to develop my private personal life with Jesus through establishing habits in my life, spiritual disciplines, fasting, meditation on scripture, thankfulness, those sorts of things. We talked about them a few months ago. And if I want to be serious about this, I need to encourage my friends to ask me about how I'm doing, because I think a lot of us make um, sort of resolutions that, oh yes, I really must do that, but maybe, maybe I don't get around to it. Again, you may feel we just keep banging on about these things, about sharing Jesus at the centre of our relationship and about adopting spiritual disciplines in our personal lives. You may feel that we've heard all this before, but again, perhaps we've heard this, but not actually made any real changes. So in the light of current circumstances, this may be the time when the Holy Spirit is seriously calling us to get more serious in our response. And so again, I say, if not now, then when? So some of us most naturally tend to be scooter riders and others tend to be more like sparklers. The third context, doing discipleship in private, I'll call this the hermit. And I don't mean the hermit crab, although I nearly did choose an image of that. And this is, I guess, most natural for the introverts amongst us. But it's not just relevant for those who are by nature rather reserved. It's characterised by a strong preference to keep my personal life private. So in conversations, I'm really happy to discuss the weather or my work, ask me about what I've been doing or how my friends and family are, and I'll talk freely. But I am uncomfortable if you ask me about how I'm doing with my personal prayer or what challenges or temptations I'm facing at present as I seek to follow Jesus. I may indeed have a genuinely deep and growing relationship with Jesus, 
like Christians in the past who were called hermits. But I suspect it's more likely that I have been spiritually coasting for some days, or maybe weeks, or perhaps even years, or I may be actually struggling. Is it wrong to be a hermit type person? No, not necessarily. Certainly it's great to build deep and strong personal foundations. For us to be, as the psalmist says, like a tree planted by streams of water with roots that go down deep. To learn, as Jan was stressing through last year, to dig our own wells. And there may be specific periods when we're called to a time of solitude. But the Lord of the Church does not intend isolation to be a permanent way of life. You see, the weakness of being isolated is that we can easily lose perspective. Perspective on our own lives, our own priorities and our own attitudes. Whether we are comfortable with it or not, we need others around us who will lovingly confront us and challenge us. But more than this, Jesus did not give his life in order to purchase for God a group of isolated individuals, whether devoted or not, but a corporate bride. Church is corporate, both for our sake and for his. So how might the Holy Spirit be calling me to reconfigure my discipleship at a personal and private level? Well, rather obviously, I need to make a choice to deliberately identify a few trusted people with whom I will honestly begin to share my walk with Jesus. People with whom I will learn to be vulnerable. I will not grow much if I do not allow others into my life. I really value good friends, particularly through this recent period, who have called us to find out how we're doing. But I particularly valued uh, friends who called us just recently who alongside saying, and how are you doing and what's happening, then pressed us a bit further and said, and how are you doing with your prayer at the moment? That's important. And the second thing I would say, if we are by nature a hermit type person, is simply this, choose praise. Choose praise. Not just because this is something that is often done together with others, although that's true, but because more than anything else, praise takes us out of ourselves as we focus on the King. It gets us out of our self-absorbedness. And note, this is more than just having Christian music playing in the background. I love that, but it means perhaps while playing that music, consciously choosing to direct my heart, my mind, my voice, maybe even my body towards Jesus in appreciation, to direct myself to Jesus through praise. And yes, once again, you may feel that we just keep banging on about these things, about opening up and sharing our relationship with Jesus and the importance of praise and worship. You may well feel that we've heard all this before and maybe we've somehow just not got around to doing anything very concrete about this. And so at this moment, when the Lord of the church is seeking to do a reset, I simply say again, if not now, 
then when? When will we respond and allow him to reconfigure our discipleship? So what sort of disciple are we? Are we spiritual scooter riders, perhaps too reliant on a weekly boost in the company with the many? Or are we spiritual sparklers, perhaps rather over-dependent on the few to keep us spiritually awake? Or are we hermits trying to follow Jesus in isolation, disconnected and unsupported by our brothers and sisters? We need to learn to grow in the context of all three settings, with the many, among the few and alone. Is this a moment when we need to choose to reconfigure our discipleship? A chance to reset how we want to grow as followers of Jesus through this difficult time. And as we seek both personally and together to grow and develop towards maturity as disciples of Jesus, perhaps it would help in closing to reflect on these encouraging words from 2 Peter. He says this, so don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities, active and growing in your lives no grass will grow under your feet no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master jesus let's allow the holy spirit to grow us to if necessary reset us to reconfigure our discipleship as we grow mature in jesus mm -hmm.